Welcome to Practice Life, the podcast devoted to the important non-clinical issues affecting the daily practice of equine veterinary medicine. Practice Life is brought to you by the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And I'm Mike Pannell, a practice owner and veterinarian, and a longtime EAP member and your host. Beringer Ingelheim Equine Health understands the incredible relationship that exists between horses and humans. And when it comes to managing the horse's health, there are actually two patients, the horse and the owner. That's why we create science that helps strengthen and prolong that bond. To learn more about Beringer Ingelheim's approach to equine treatments and solutions, visit bi-animalhealth.com equine. Hi, I am Jessica Dunbar. I would like to welcome you to another episode of AAEP Practice Life podcast, sponsored by Beringer Ingelheim. My co-host is Dr. Mike Pownell. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Good evening. How are you? <laughs> doing great here. Today, we're going to cover some very important topics with several members of our AAEP Sustainability Committee. There are five subcommittees, it's my understanding, and today we're going to chat with individuals from the compensation as well as the practice culture subcommittees. So first, I would like to introduce Dr. Kelly Zetonian and Dr. Stacy Cordovano, who are on the practice culture subcommittee. Let's see, Kelly, could you tell us about your practice and also your position on the committee? Sure. So my practice is Starwood Equine Veterinary Services in the San Francisco Bay Area. We are currently a seven-doctor, two-location, fully ambulatory practice. And I am the co-chair of the Practice Culture Subcommittee with Dr. Cordovano with Stacy. Wonderful. And let's chat with you, Stacy, about your practice. Uh, my practice is Clay Creek Equine Veterinary Services. We are located in Chester County, Pennsylvania. We are a two-doctor ambulatory-only practice. I work with Kelly to kind of gather and lead our awesome team. Thank you. And then let's chat with Dr. Jim Zeliff and Dr. Travis Boston, who are on the compensation subcommittee. Jim, can you tell us about your practice? Sure. Um, with Allegheny Equine, we're just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We have uh, seven associates and two interns, and we are a clinic-based ambulatory practice. Travis and I are the co-chairs of the compensation subcommittee. And Travis, let's hear from you about your practice. Uh, I'm a part owner of Willow Creek Equine. It's a practice in rural Pennsylvania, just outside of Reading, Pennsylvania. Well, thank you all for being here. Let's see, Mike, do you want to start with the, our first question for this group? Absolutely. And, and for full disclosure, I am on the uh, compensation subcommittee with Jim and Travis. So that's why when we were setting this up, I wanted to start with these two of the subcommittees today. I'm familiar with the compensation one. But boy, isn't compensation and culture sort of two sides of the same coin? It's I know we had a meeting recently in Denver with the compensation subcommittee. It was like, should we be handling this or the culture people should be handling this? Because boy, doesn't, doesn't compensation drive culture and vice versa? So Kelly, let's start with you. What's the goal of the culture subcommittee? 
Yeah, I think you've just alluded to it. We, uh, as a committee, have this lofty goal of trying to define those aspects of a practice that create the culture and drive a positive practice culture. And um, using that information, try to create deliverable solutions to offer best practices and support to practice owners and associates alike. Our overarching theme and what we keep making sure that we go back to, which complements the compensation committee, is that we want to drive this positive culture without compromising the economics that underlie our ability to continue working and paying our employees appropriately, and also without compromising client care. Absolutely. And Travis, tell us about the compensation subcommittee. Uh, the specific charge of the compensation subcommittee is to ensure that our members understand where the current financial numbers are, what the market demands, what actions they can take to increase the salaries, benefits, and overall compensation to be competitive and equitable with the goal of making compensation more attractive to pursuing a career in equine practice. Jim and I and the rest of the committee sort of took that to mean people need to understand how better to leverage their business for their own benefit as well as the benefit of their associates and how to change the numbers to create a a better financial and other compensation for associates looking to enter this field. And Jessica, just before I pass it over to you, I just, so this is two of the five subcommittees and so I just want to let people who are listening to that, we'll also be meeting with the other subcommittees and try to hopefully show the puzzle how everybody is sitting in there, all with that goal of creating sustainability in equine practice. So Jessica, it's all yours. Okay. Thank you, Mike. I'd like to hear about who makes up these committees besides these folks we're chatting with this evening. What does the group look like that's on the culture committee, Stacy? We have an amazing group. Dr. Emma Reed is our board liaison and Sally Baker is our staff liaison. They have both provided amazing support thus far, and we're very grateful for that. Aside from Kelly and myself, we have an additional four private practitioners, all of whom own or co-own their practices. We have four industry veterinarians who have a wide breadth of experience in many different aspects of the profession. We have Dr. Harry Werner, who is a retired practitioner with an amazing insight and vast experience from his long career. And then aside from Dr. Reed, we also have two other vets in academia. So it's a really great mix of different perspectives, but we all gel really nicely together and are all really invested in making positive change in this area. Thank you for the work you're doing. It sounds like a special group of people to focus on culture. Jim, would you mind sharing who makes up your committee? Well, Travis and I sort of split up these questions. We had decided he was going to answer this one. So, all right, Travis, Travis go for it. <laughs> You're up. <laughs> I get the easy ones. Uh, we have the fabulous Amy <laughs> Grice, who runs uh, the Decade One groups, who is our board liaison. And then we have a group made up of Christian Fredrickson, Erica Paxton, Jennifer Rita, Olivia Rodolfi, Danielle Schlipp. Shane Baird, William Baker, Mark Kinsley, Martha Malincote, and then that gentleman right there, Mike Pannell. It is also a mix of both owners and associates, as well as academics and private practitioners. Uh, I do think that's really important for all the subcommittees because 
you know, it's not a one size fits all profession. Uh, even as small as the profession is, there's lots of different arms that we need to keep in mind and what works for one doesn't work for the other. I'm so glad you have a variety of individuals to help work on this on this subcommittee. Yeah, absolutely. Because I know when we had our meeting, just that, that mix, it really showed having that right blend and you just get everybody's perspectives. So, Kelly, maybe you can talk about what the culture subcommittee has accomplished so far. And we'll talk later on about what you're hoping to accomplish in the future. But as we're recording this, the beginning of April, I know you've been busy. I know what the compensation subcommittee has been doing. So why don't you share about the culture subcommittee? Absolutely. So we have kicked off our subcommittee with monthly Zoom meetings, where we've basically just been trying to really iron out that broader topic of what what does make a positive culture and what do we need to do to change practice culture and maybe help some of those clinics identify that they may not have the best practice culture around. We met briefly in person at AAEP and then actually just uh, got together last month to really start to iron out some of our deliverables. And what we've decided to start with is actually creating a bit of a rubric for practice owners or managers to go through and grade themselves, see sort of where they fall on the scale of a number of important pillars that we can maybe get into in a little bit and that we feel are really the, the important factors. And we give examples so that they can sort of judge, you know, where do they fall as far as emergency coverage or compensation or mentorship? That's the starting point. And from there, our goal or some of the additional work that we have focuses on, hey, I've scored a little bit weak in the rubric in this particular area. What are some tools, deliverables that I can use to get my score a bit higher? Oh, I can't wait to hear more. This has been tantalizing. So. So, Jim, on the compensation subcommittee, there's been a lot of data that has accumulated. Uh, can you share some of the highlights, particularly around salaries? Yeah, so one of the big numbers that, that we wanted to clarify is what a veterinarian can expect to make coming out of an internship. And we know that uh, the new graduate numbers from the AVMA we're about 55,000 in 2022. The 2023 number are low 60s, about 63, 64. And as practice owners, we all felt that that seemed like a very low number. So what we did with this compensation survey is, first of all, to make sure that we have total numbers. We went with W-2 income. So we looked at total amount of money somebody made in a year that they pay tax on. That includes their base as well as any extra incentive money on emergencies and other things like that. That number came out when we had to take out the internship year, because obviously that's at a lower compensation. We had 89,000, which is much better number than the 55. So we did a little deeper dive into where that 55 came from. And what the AVMA does is they poll graduating fourth year vet students and ask what they have signed on for for their contracts. So these include people starting jobs without internships, and they also do not include extra money people get paid. So that's sort of their base salary. So I think that's why there was such a big difference, and that's a number that we're trying really hard to get out to the current vet students that uh, doing an internship does pay and helps them quite a bit on what they can make. 
the new AVMA survey has come out and the numbers in the 60s, I think it's 64. So we're still getting a, a better number. A couple things that we've done to take that a step further is we did look at, at gender differences and it's not very good. The guys do make about 34% more than ladies. And so we're doing some deep dives into this to find out why this is. And this was not just older practitioners that tend to be male, making a lot of money there. This was across the board, first year out, 30 years out. It's a significant difference. An interesting thing is that all the way across as well, the ladies made more, about 2% more as a percent of their production. So there's, there's some things we really need to dive into. And that's one of the main goals that we came out of our face-to-face -face meeting is, you know, why is this happening? With the majority of our membership being ladies, let's figure out what this difference is. And that in itself can really have a significant difference in getting the compensation up. A couple other interesting things, emergency fees. 42% of the veterinarians do not get compensated for emergencies. Only 32% get 100% of their emergency fee. We found that really interesting, and that's clearly something that the emergency coverage subcommittee is going to take a look at. Something very much that the, the culture folks can look at is we didn't see a whole lot of difference between a four- and a five-day work week. So as far as income, earning, and production. Just to clarify, the ones who are working a four-day week their salary or their compensation was comparable to those yes. working a five-day week. All right. Yes. Counterintuitive, but it, that's what happens. Yeah. We, we don't have uh, time and space in this call to get into all the details on that, but it's a very interesting thing to throw out there when we're looking at practice culture and what keeps people happy about their jobs. Uh, there, there's a lot of questions about, well, if you come up with a number, there's no way we can afford to pay that in Idaho versus Connecticut, right? So we are also working on a, a report that breaks it down by state, by region, to group some states so that you can have an idea of what your specific state is. There's also the cost of living index that the intern people have been working with that will also come into this. Like, like what is a significant difference between California and South Dakota as far as what people should be able to expect to make. And then another big thing that we have on our radar is education. And there's really two main buckets for this. There's, there's education about financial management and debt, but there's also um, education on practice finances. Are we raising fees on a regular basis? Are people's fees appropriate? Or is all the money being collected? And all of these things drive compensation, uh, especially for the newer associates that are trying to, to make a mark and get started in a practice. Those are our main pieces of information coming out of our survey. And what we did in Denver at our meeting is we broke all these into small pieces and we're putting together information packets to go out, whether through spur or through email blasts or 
any other thing, maybe through convention, all these other avenues that AEP has to reach out to members. That's kind of where we're at. This uh, study that you guys have put together is very valuable and kind of a big deal. So thank you for putting time into that. How are you going to delve into that disparity between men and women? Sorry to delve on that. <laughs> We're kind of cheating a little bit in this group because we have Amy Grice as our, as our main advisor from the officers. And she has been working with us and has a big paper that she's submitting Everybody's got a lot of ideas, but uh, there's this is going to be a, a presentation at the AEP that we're all working on together to come up with our thoughts. But we were, I was honestly shocked when I saw how big that difference was. Yeah, that, that number is, <laughs> does catch the attention. <laughs> but probably just no surprise to a lot of like over half of our members after this meeting that we had, I did some research, and this, this this gender wage gap is prevalent across all industries, professions in North America. So we looked at it at first, it's like, what are we doing wrong as equine vets? But it's everywhere. It's legal. It's physicians. It's teachers. I mean, it's everywhere. This gap is there. So I, I think we're just a, we're a symptom of a, of a greater problem, I guess. And one nice kudos to the members listening. We have about 5,000 members of the AEP, and we had 1,200 respondents to this survey. That's a big deal. Those of us who have done surveys in the past, that's a really good representation of, of people responding. So thank you very much for the members who filled that out. Let's shift back to the culture chairs here. Would either you, Kelly or Stacy, want to touch on any any details you can share with us on what you guys are working on currently? Sure. So like Kelly mentioned earlier, this is a big beast. Practice culture encompasses so many things, regardless of the industry that you're in. But our team has really worked hard to create a broad categorization of what we feel like are the most important big topics that can help practices begin to change their team dynamics and kind of the organizational culture. And so we have created these seven pillars that we're saying contribute to a positive veterinary workplace culture. An infographic will be out soon regarding this, but those seven pillars include security, which hugely overlaps with compensation. That's things like benefits, parental leave, things like that. Safety, that includes both psychological safety, physical safety, technician utilization. Uh, third category is connection and community. So finding that within your workplace, within the AEP, or within your own community. Mattering at work, that's things like aligning your vision and mission statement with your employees and making sure that that's a good match. Professional and personal life the sort of balance or integration of those two things. Obviously, that's a hot topic and another big category. Communication. We all feel that that's hugely important in workplace culture. And then the seventh pillar is opportunities for growth. So that's things like onboarding programs, mentorship, autonomy within what type of specialization you get into within your practice, things like that. We have started with one uh, workbook already. I'll let Kelly kind of talk about that one. Yeah. So we identified the seven pillars, but the word boundaries just kept coming up in all of our conversations. And and we know that it was, 
you know, a topic uh, for several hours at AAEP this last year. And so our first focus that is essentially finalized and ready to go. So be on the lookout for it once it gets the stamp of approval from the AAEP board is basically a short workbook that helps people walk through developing communication boundaries. And it's, you know, in a workplace setting, though, you could probably use it in your personal life as well. We're encouraging either management or leadership to host a team meeting and use the questions that we ask to kind of create a conversation and establish some some boundaries, some agreements essentially amongst the team. So how do you want to be communicated with on your days off, if at all? What are we going to do so that when you are going on vacation, we have the information that we need to successfully take care of clients without reaching out to you? It also gives associates who are maybe struggling a little bit with protecting their personal time ideas for how they might broach the subject with their boss in a you know, a productive manner that everybody wins. So Stacy and I tackled that. We were ready to really like get something actionable out there. So I'm excited to to get that in everybody's hands here pretty soon. I'm just smiling as you <laughs> chat about these seven pillars and the workbook. And you said it helps with communication. And I think communication can solve so many problems. So I can't wait to see the workbook and hear more about these seven pillars. I might add the seven pillars are sort of an adaptation or we got a little bit of the idea from the Surgeon General who created a workbook actually during the time of COVID for healthcare workers. And they identified a number of categories that needed to be focused on there. So it's not an entirely new idea. We have a really beautiful framework to to go off of, but I'm excited because we're really focusing in on the equine practitioner. So it's going to be good. I love it. I can't wait to hear more. Where are we going in the future of these committees? But before we get to that question, I was just as we're talking, listeners to this are not going to enjoy the video and just seeing the expressions on our guest face when they're talking about. It, I just I like that. This is a bit of a surprise question and. I'll start with you, Travis, but in terms of the findings or what the group has come together and done, like what, what has excited you the most? Uh, well, I guess, first of all, the things aren't quite as bad as everybody thought. When we were at the AEP, uh, not this past year, but the one before, it was very doom and gloom. A lot of negativity surrounding how many people were leaving the workforce at what rate. We're kind of finding out that there, there really are some crap dead end jobs in our profession. And yet there are a lot that aren't. There are a lot of people that are succeeding in their own way and they're building practices and communities for other people to join that are succeeding, even though they're a little different and they're a little different from the old standard. They're also a little different from each other. Everybody's finding their own way, but there are successes. And I think that's really important there's successes at every level, whether it's culture or whatever, but even in compensation, like these are really encouraging numbers in comparison to what we thought was happening. And uh, it had been pointed out to me that maybe the reason these numbers are great is because the people that were stuck in the dead end jobs left. And that's very discouraging again, but maybe with these numbers, we can get them back. People that go work for a corporate small animal practice and make 
$150,000 a year are probably pretty happy about that $150,000 a year, but maybe they're not that happy about the life that they need to lead to make that. You know, maybe their their noses to the grindstone and they're seeing 40 pets a day every 15 minutes and you know, you've got somebody corporate shill cracking the whip on them and they'd like to return to a, a lifestyle that's that's a little better. Maybe they'd accept, you know, a little bit less compensation but not not what they were getting before. Now they could fit into a new culture, a new level of compensation. And I, I think it's very encouraging uh, for me, uh, who was a little, little depressed a couple of years ago after that first meeting. Yeah, for sure. How about yourself, Jim? What has made you smile about everything that's been going on at the subcommittee? So what's really been great is, is everybody jumping in and working together. This has been a really active committee. And, and we hear about you get these groups and you get two people that do all the work. But this has really been a, a super group to work together. And as Travis said, you know, we had this $55,000 a year number hanging over our head. And I really felt good. We were a little anxious when we got the survey back, you know, what's it going to be? But to have it be so much more of a reasonable number, that's really the base of what we're all trying to get done on the compensation committee. That was really good news. Stacey, you've been smiling a lot during this podcast. So um, what about yourself? What what has made you happy or surprised you about what you covered of your uh, culture subcommittee? Well, I first want to add one thing to Travis's statement. The Merck Animal Health Wellbeing Study, the third edition, came out last year. And 73% of large animal veterinarians reported that they were flourishing versus 52% of small animal veterinarians. So I'd just like to throw that out there because it's a very interesting statistic. I think being out in nature is good for everybody's soul. The thing that's most exciting to me is I a little bit agree with Jim. Our group is amazing. It's fun to be surrounded by people who also think this is so important. You know, Kelly and I work in this space a fair bit on our own personal time. And sometimes you can feel like you're in your own little bubble working to try to make a better practice life for your own associates or people around you. But it's really fun to get together and hear all different sorts of perspectives, but everyone being excited about educating and making a difference for workplace culture and all the different things that we can do. And Kelly, about yourself? I'm excited that we have made it to the point where we are actually admitting that there is a problem. We've been working on this. This has been sort of a passion project and for for years, it feels like. And it finally feels like it's gaining the momentum. We're past the tipping point that we really need to have the energy behind it to start making really notable improvements and changes. So that's what I'm excited about is that like everybody's on board um, or, or at least a majority are. And those that are not, we're, we've got enough wind behind our sails that we're leaving them, leaving them behind. That's excellent. Thanks for sharing all that. Let's chat now about what each subcommittee is hoping to accomplish in the near future. I, I know we've heard a little bit about what to expect at AEP. But what will your your next few months look like when you have your Zoom meetings with with each committee? If we could start with culture, Stacy or Kelly. Sure. So our goals after our in-person meeting was to create a user-friendly, practical piece of educational content to support each pillar. And we are hoping to have those for submission to the board within the next month. 
We will then continue to create content under those pillars as the year goes on. And by the time a P convention rolls around, we hope to have a more formalized pamphlet or booklet kind of working through each of the pillars, defining what they are, why they are important, and then linking to the deliverables that we have created throughout the year so that people can begin to make those changes because we want it to be actionable. We don't want this to be a bunch of fluff and nowhere to go from there. Kelly and I are both very action-oriented people and we want you know, people to have the actual resources to make the changes. Any other thoughts on upcoming stuff, Kelly? You got it. We we want it to not just be, yes, we have a problem. Gosh, we spilled really low on this rubric, and but we don't know what to do about it. We want it to be, yes, we have a problem, but now I have all of these things that I can use to slowly start making the changes. And all of our committee members have sort of sub, you know, they've all taken on these pillars and they're all working, you know, diligently and have kind of taken them on as their own, which is amazing to see. Well, I can't wait to see that information. Culture is a big deal. It's everything. Work should be a place where we're happy. (laughs) And I think these seven pillars really help address some of the issues. Shifting to Jim and Travis, do you have anything to add about what you're hoping to accomplish in the next couple of months prior to AAEP? Sure. So these are, we're calling them small bites. Uh, and, and most of them are the things that I went through, but we have people on the committee that are subcommittee that are assigned to put together uh, a deliverable media message. And some of these, like I said, are going to, are going to be a quick email blast. Some of them will be an article published. We've kind of gone through all of these. A fee survey is something that we're trying to combine. The VMG has one, as does Decade One, just finished one. And Dr. Grice and I are looking at these together to try to meld them into one big one that that we can send out. Once again, being very careful about antitrust issues. We're not going to tell people what to charge, but we would like to share survey results when we can. We're going to put together a like a rubric on benefits, both letting people know what benefits are out there, what kind of, because that was a very nice uh, piece of the survey, but also have a practice be able to turn these into a dollar number. What is your benefit package worth? Do something that's really easy for an associate to figure out. We've got a lot of work ahead of us, but what's nice is the fact that out of everybody on this committee, it's all been equally split up. And we have deadlines of a couple of them are we're in March and now beginning of April where people are going to start turning this stuff in. That's great. It sounds like each group has just a very strong group of um, individuals working together. So I can't wait to hear more from each group. Yeah, I'm excited for the other subcommittees because, I mean, these are the two I would be the most familiar with. So the other three are going to be fascinating. Yeah, everybody's working hard. It's so exciting. You know, I think somebody said earlier that we're past that tipping point and We've identified the problem and we're making solutions, and that's what we like to do as vets. Like Dr. Emma Reed said many, many times last year, let's change the numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Before we sign off, I want to thank Barringer Engelheim again for uh, being a sponsor of the AAP Practice Life podcast. I mean, we've been talking a lot about collaboration and teamwork, and having industry partners like that really helps all of us and helps us get this message across. So, 
Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Mike and Jessica. Great to be here. Thanks. For more resources to help you in daily practice, please visit the AAP's website at aaep.org. Beringer Ingelheim Equine Health understands the incredible relationship that exists between horses and humans. And when it comes to managing the horse's health, there are actually two patients, the horse and the owner. That's why we create science that helps strengthen and prolong that bond. To learn more about Beringer Ingelheim's approach to equine treatments and solutions, visit bi-animalhealth.com equine.